0: All right, two guys in the cloud. Episode 18, Bob. 18. We're like, we're, I was born on teenagers. the 18th of the
1: month of August, so this must be a lucky one for sure.
0: I like it. I like it. I, I uh, have nothing to connect to 18 other than I was 18 once. And that okay, was very, very dangerous, you. but good. it's back.
1: So um, today, it's good.
0: yes, <laughs> I made it. I made it. Happy to, uh, I guess, talk about a very, very exciting topic. Um, actually, I'm fascinated by it, and it's AI in healthcare. So we're sort of connecting the dots today between, you know, the cloud, AI, artificial intelligence, and how we can apply that, you know, capability, well, I'll call it a capability today, into an industry. In this case, we're going to talk about healthcare, which has tremendous meaning um, in the world we live in. So you know we're we're joined by Matt Jackson and Dave Lipinski, um with Insights Digital Innovation Practice, uh, who are going to help us kind of navigate this conversation and talk through all the different facets of it, and should be should be fascinating. Um, but today I'm happy to introduce Matt. Let me let's start with you. Welcome, Matt, to the show.
2: Sure, thank you. Uh, really happy to be here and and talk about something that we're all passionate about. Um, Just for some background, I I came up through uh, the ranks as a developer, so spent my time writing code on hands-on keyboard, uh, moved into enterprise architecture type role, worked with a lot of healthcare clients uh, across the years, modernizing platforms and and, um, really driving insights for for the healthcare industry. Um, And Then uh, in my role at Insight today, I lead our services team, so all the folks that are actually out there, engaged with clients, building solutions. Um, We've got about 1,200 people uh, today that uh, work in this digital innovation space. Um, and so I, I, I have the pleasure of uh, still staying, you know, uh, engaged with our clients and helping them solve these these really critical problems and, and drive really important outcomes. Um, but, uh, but I don't, I don't have to write as much code. Although I do miss it.
0: Yeah, I've, you know <laughs> what? If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'm I know. not kidding. You know, <laughs> I, know. I don't like code anymore, but I miss it. But it's always that badge of honor. It is. It, it is, yep. and
2: and I I like to tell people that my my next career jump is going to be to to go back to development role. Um, there's something about putting head, on headphones, like cranking some music and coding for twelve hours straight, that, that just puts everything else like to the side. Um, you don't get that when you're doing twelve straight hours of uh, of you know, half hour online meetings.
0: No, you, I no. I, although I can't say I really can compare it. The closest I've gotten to code is working with. Maybe Wix to build a website, and that's, and that's not code. So, yeah. but,
1: but I like the I like, the, I like the headphones and the, you know the Mountain Dew and the Doritos. So I'm in on yeah. that
2: version. It was more that's coffee and Red Bull for me, but uh, Red you know, Bull.
1: I'll, okay, I okay. right. spent yeah.
2: my nights uh, sleeping on so I could just wake up and code more. Um, but right. that, those days are a little past right now. It,
0: it was. Do you remember social the social network, You know the whole Facebook story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, that's when I just oh, got. Yeah. You know that that was when I just got jealous. You know, just that whole idea of, you know, he just sort of put on the headphones, drank a beer, and built a billion dollar business, and it looked like it took him twenty four hours. And I want to do that too, right? Just <laughs> yeah. to that.
2: It's not that <laughs> easy. Never that. Yeah.
0: Easy. So we he's with wired that, in.
2: Yeah.
0: We have David Lipinski. Um, and David, please, please, uh, tell us all about your coding uh, adventures, which, are, no matter what they are, they're gonna be more than mine. So let's hear it.
3: Um, I'll, I'll race you to the bottom on that. On that. Um, uh, so I am not a technologist by by training or trade. So I am not uh, a coder, um, and I've uh, uh, written a few lines of code in in classes uh, that and and through work uh, throughout the last 25 years. I've been in healthcare and life sciences. So um, I I stumbled into healthcare and life sciences a number of years ago. Um, really focused on um, uh, how to. Think through um, just beginning the the process of of modernizing the patient experience. Um, And uh, I went to work for Microsoft um, in their healthcare group and ran their their group in Canada, and that was really the first foray um, from a platform perspective of a connected cloud experience for healthcare. So they had Health Vault, which is kind of the personal health record, and then they had a clinical unified information system, which is like a big uh, cloud-based uh, database and analytics uh, engine for analyzing clinical information. And you know, this was early days. This was you know, fifteen, almost fifteen years ago now. And uh, I then came to work for for Blue Metal and and met Matt Jackson at Blue Metal, and and uh, that uh, precipitated into the acquisition of Blue Metal uh, several years ago by Insight. And I've been in Insight DI ever since, uh, really continuing to focus on healthcare and life sciences from an industry expertise perspective and I think we're we're but what's really exciting for me is uh, healthcare has been such a complex animal um, in so many different respects uh, for so long and technology is was never quite at the point where it could really start meaningfully addressing and attacking some of these these big rock challenges and and We're finally there. We've reached a tipping point where with largely in part to uh, machine learning and and AI tools, we're now really beginning to unlock some of the the mystery and challenge of some of the the larger healthcare challenges um, and starting to give people, clinicians back more time, uh, less less time in systems, more time in front of patients, um, and we're starting to uh, address some pretty significant um, healthcare, what I call opportunities um, in terms of meaningfully addressing uh, uh diseases such as cancer and, and and other situations and even the pandemic as it relates to COVID, which we'll talk about. So there's never been a better time in the history of healthcare to be in healthcare.
0: Wow, that was great. I, I love how you how you frame that with the big rock. Um, you know, I I'm a big 80-20 guy, right? So you know I always feel as if you can focus on that 20%, that's gonna get to 80% of what it, whether it's the pain point or the opportunity. It's a little bit like a big rock. So, wh- how would you how would you frame today's big rocks in healthcare? What where where should that focus be?
3: So, it's it's in a couple of areas. Um, the 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 challenge is um, uh, the the data um, is continuing to grow in healthcare, but the, the challenge has historically been. Um, is how how is it organized? Is it is it the same in one hospital it is as it is in another hospital? And the, the answer for a long time was no. Um, you know, just even human nature being able to check a box or not check a box and encoding created this this disparity of understanding one patient compared to a patient with a similar condition, right? So um, standardization in the healthcare industry has helped to over the last 20 years to. Kind of level that a little bit and we're making even more significant significant advancements um, internationally in terms of standard based coding. So we understand, you know, a a tonsillectomy in in Cleveland, Ohio is the same thing as a tonsillectomy in Italy, right? So and I'm generalizing, but the, the opportunity for us to to then apply learning on more common sets of data and to help use AI and ML tools to to uh, recognize um, when data might be coded slightly differently, but we're able to say, ah, that that this information or data set is actually this the, the same. Um, and we and we can kind of pool and, and pull these together for analysis. So I think um, certainly around um, what we call informed clinical decision support, we don't want to use AI and ML to, to make clinical decisions for um, for doctors and nurses. What we wanted to do is put the breadcrumbs in place to say, here's why we think this is gonna happen and um, we want to give them the reasons, and then they can quickly go investigate those from a clinical perspective and make an informed uh, decision about patient care. Um, and also, I, I talked about giving back more time. Um, you know, uh, as of 10 years ago, there were, there were uh, clinicians spending uh, actually a majority of their time in front of computers entering in data, doing, you know, manual data entry about their patients. Um, and it, it started to pull down um, the interest in medicine. And we saw a, a, a decline in people entering medical school. And that's starting to tick back up again, because um, uh, automation and, and, and natural language processing, in terms of being able to, to, to speak your, your clinical notes and be able to have that um, uh, entered in as data in real time and searchable and queryable and discoverable, um, so we're we're creating tools and opportunities for clinicians to to be quicker and faster about the things that they still need to do about the patient charting and so forth. But we're we're also giving them back more time for patient for patient care, and we're also making that data more quickly and readily available for discovery and developing other insights. So,
1: um,
3: and I think it's really impacting the whole continuum of care from, um, you know, everything from, uh, uh, you know, chronic disease management into um, some of the more challenging areas of of cancer research um, and even the pandemic, as I mentioned.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Um, The standards part, I wouldn't have thought about, that's the sort of thing where you don't know until you get into an industry to really truly understand the pain points, the idea that you can't, you can't create or can't correlate patterns or come to conclusions between different hospitals and different patients until you have standards in terms of how you capture that data. And I, healthcare is just one of those industries where the way it grew up, I can see how that was just very different depending on where you were. So it's, it's great to hear that there's a standard being built. And when you talk about that well, is there a name for that that code that you talk through like i think i immediately go to things like html you know in terms of a standard language but you 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 have some sort of different healthcare vernacular i'm sure crickets yeah we're we're calling that language crickets
2: up <laughs> coding and then uh and david obviously hasn't been a developer coding, but he spent a lot of his time in medical coding. And and so like medical coding, and there are standards and, and he'll have to rattle off the names of the the official standards, but it's really how you how you capture um everything from the diagnosis to the procedure to the services that were performed um, so there's different alphanumeric codes for each one of these things and, and they get updated as you know procedures advance but you're absolutely right like when, when we look at the systems that we're building today versus you know 15 20 years ago um, our ability to you know cross-reference um different you know healthcare systems and look at patterns and trends um, is, has you know drastically changed because of the ability to create kind of common data sets uh, and, you know, when, when we look at some of the solutions that we've built over the last number of years um, and, and I can get into the technology a little bit, but, but just kind of sticking to the outcomes that we're driving, you know, we're able to look at these massive data sets that span dozens. The average healthcare system has over 100 different systems that are capturing data um, and, you know, those those are, are not necessarily aligned, but having some common data elements allows us to, to cross reference and build more advanced machine learning models that can look for patterns, uh, make recommendations. Um, and some of the stuff that we've been able to do, I, I, there was a, an account that David or a client that David and I worked with a couple of years ago, a uh, health provider on the West Coast. And they'd spent two years trying to come up with a model to better predict sepsis outbreaks. So secondary infections, um, which can be some of the most deadly you know, uh, conditions to occur within the hospital. Um, and they were looking for you know patterns across these different data sets that, that would indicate that they were susceptible to one of these outbreaks. And they, like I said, been working for two years and had built a model that was was reasonably accurate. Uh, We were able to come in there using more advanced machine learning techniques uh, and and train a model against their historical data uh, in about two weeks that was significantly more accurate than than what they had done over the past couple of years. Um, And and that's a great use case. We we like to talk about how quickly we were able to translate the data into value for for their health system. But the reality is if they hadn't spent, two year, had, hadn't spent those two years aggregating the data, normalizing the data, there's no way we could have come in and built a model in two weeks. Um, and you know, across the systems, what we find is, you know, if, to the, your 80-20 rule, Elliot, you know, 80% of the work in building a really cool machine learning AI type model is just munging the data together in a way that you can you know, actually understand it. Um, and so you know, these, these systems that you know, provide these great insights are critical. Um, but the majority of the work that we're doing within, especially the healthcare provider space, but it also, you know, the insurer space and, and the, you know, and other kind of secondary um, uh, medical supply chain type organizations, um, you know, they're all working on modern data estate projects today. Like that, that's got to be the hottest thing in healthcare um, is just understanding how they modernize their data estate to take these hundred plus systems normalize them around the coding, but, but other just you know, patient demographics, making sure that things are captured in the same way so that they can drive insights off that data. And once they've got that data state in place, then all of a sudden everything just kind of pops open. So it might be sepsis one day, um, but the next day you know there's a COVID outbreak and you need to get on, uh, you know, on top of you know, what type of trends you're seeing within your patient population um, so that you can make better decisions about everything from treatment plans to staffing levels. Um, that you may need based on an outbreak of a of a pandemic, and so you know those are things. You know, obviously, it's very relevant in the last year. But you know, I remember we were working with um, a, a health commission uh, when H one N one broke out. So we were in the process of building a a, a actually a, a a demographics. It was it was a, a data system to kind of predict. Uh, likelihoods of chronic diseases across this is, was in boston across the population so looking at demographics in different neighborhoods and trying to understand where was there a higher you know uh likelihood to to you know have childhood asthma right or some other chronic condition um, and then correlating that to things like you know pollution and green space and demographics socioeconomic so that we could build better healthcare policy for the city of boston and in the in the process of doing that you know h1n1 breaks out um, and all of a sudden, I remember meeting with the with the health commissioner for the city and she just said, like, listen, there's, there's got to be a way. We've got all this data. Like, how can we use this data to, to better respond to this outbreak? Um, so it was amazing to see that because we had the data in place we could respond really quickly. And we ended up updating their website, you know, targeting, you know, um, you know kind of tracking populations where there were outbreaks and then doing you know, health policy and really getting in front of the community uh, at that point to talk about things that you could do to stop, stop the spread. Um, so like all of that kind of came back to me. Um, I, I won't name names, but the, the, this health director um, is, is now the health director of, of one of the largest cities in America. Um, and she was on the news. I saw her, I saw her on like kind of the nightly news um, talking about how she was managing the outbreak in, in the city that she she leads now, um, so it's kind of come full circle. But it's all based on that modern data state.
0: Yeah, it's, that's um, a great story. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic story, and and has to be rewarding too, in the sense yeah. that this is when all that all that work can pay off in terms of saving lives. You know, so that's that's pretty rewarding, I imagine. But.
2: Did, did, when but did, out oh, to steal a thunder, the holy grail of healthcare is like opportunities where you can reduce the cost and improve patient outcomes. And so like, you know, that everybody wins in that situation, you know, you're, you're able to maybe reduce the labor or the, the, you know, the services, unnecessary services that you're providing by, by doing the treatment smarter based on data. Um, but that also drives better outcomes for your patients. Uh, there's very few industries where, you know, you can get that win-win right and typically you're either driving more revenue and and maybe cutting back on customer service or you know vice versa um, but in healthcare you really can achieve both
0: yeah yeah no it's it's tremendous we, get, so i'm fascinated a bit by the the normalization of data because it seems as mm-hmm. if you know there's hey you know the the answers are in the data but to really get the answers, you have to think about the data beforehand to really try and understand what is the data that you want to capture over time to answer the questions that you may not even know you want to ask in the future, in the yeah. sense that, you know, you're normalizing. So the first exercise on here is we want to normalize our data. Well, that's because you're capturing X amount of data. But if you captured X times two, you may be able to solve for bigger questions down the road, but you have to think through what those questions are. So it, it strikes me as maybe an iterative approach, but it's a, it's that moment where you have to ask yourself, what's the data we want to capture first and then understand how to normalize it?
2: Kind of. There's two ways to approach it, but it's interesting. So when we engage with a client, um, we typically will ask them, well, what questions do you want to ask your data? Right? Like th- this is the process here. You get to ask questions and, and we can help you come up with answers, but we actually need to know what questions you want to ask first. Um, now, at the same time, like there's no harm in modernizing the data estate proactively and saying, "Hey, we have we have these 18 systems, and you know, we believe that like if we could aggregate data across these systems, you know, there'd be better ad hoc reporting and possibilities in the future." So, there's some amount of integration work you can do in advance uh, to you know build that data warehouse or or deal with master data management so that you can you know have common you know codes for different you know categories of data. So there's plenty of upfront investment you can do, but especially when you get into the AI space, I think the best question to ask is, you know, well, what do you want to learn from your data? Um, the Sapsis one was a good example where they kind of knew the question they were asking and then went to find all, all the data that they would need to answer it. Um, but another one, and, and I don't want to steal all David Sunder, so I'll, I'll let him talk about this client a little bit too, but we had a client that came to us and they said, you know, we... Are spending more on labor than than we should. We, we've looked across our systems, and we believe that you know we're staffing unnecessary skills at unnecessary times, and we're not aligning it to the actual you know needs of our patients, the number of patients in beds, you know, with the types of conditions that they have. And so we want to find out a better way to to determine who should be you know, on staff at, at a given point in time, how many nurses we need, how many doctors with these specialties do we need so that we can better predict our labor needs. Um, and we believe that, again, will serve that dual purpose of you're know, reducing our labor costs, which is the number one cost in the health system, uh, by being smarter about you know, who we staff on what shifts, um, but also providing better outcomes for our patients because uh, we're going to be able to provide the right care for them, right? So we'll have the right people on staff you know, when, when they need them. Um, and so. A very broad question, but but it led us uh, to kind of a multi-year um, engagement with this with this uh, healthcare provider um, to really understand everything from you know how they to Davis, how they code right how are they capturing information you know accurately it turns out you know as we started to ask these questions of the data we determined that you know there were some significant problems in how they were capturing data. So what, what, one of the first things we, we started experimenting and running models like, OK, well, let's find out, you know, how many people you have at the hospital with this condition and, and like, is it more than you would expect? There's something called length of stay, um, which is which is associated with, with these codes. So you, somebody comes in, you know, and they've got chronic bronchitis, um, that's their diagnosis, whatever the alphanumeric code is. And they say, OK, well, the average person that gets diagnosed with that code stays in the hospital for four days. So then all of a sudden you have some model to say okay well we should expect this person to stay here for this long which also determines you know, how much it's going to cost to keep them here and all of that and, and also how many people we need to support them um well you could look at it and say okay well what's your average for this health system and if your average is six days then what are you doing wrong right how can you better come up with a treatment plan so when somebody comes into the hospital and they get diagnosed with chronic bronchitis you know that you you treat them you know more efficiently maybe you have to change the order in which the tests are performed etc well, it turns out we, we ran this model for one of their hospitals and, and um, you know the data was way off. They were there for like twice as long as you would expect. And so it turns out about a year before they had actually changed the coding. It used to be, you know, uh, uh, it actually used to be something to do with uh, natural uh, childbirth delivery. And they'd swap the codes or there was some, like, uh, coding issue that <laughs> it turns out people were, were generally miscoding it, like, like a oh huge percentage of time. Oh. And so you can imagine all the billing issues that happen after the fact. Somebody that goes in there for childbirth gets billed for bronchitis. And you're like, wait, wait. <laughs> um, and they get charged differently and you have different staff. So all of a sudden you look at the state and you say, we need more people in this unit when really you need them in the childbirth unit. Right. Um, So it was interesting when we started to ask the questions of the data, we started to to get answers we didn't expect, um, which led us down different paths. Not just coming up with these models for staffing, which was the original goal, but also realizing that, you know, we could do education on the ground to improve um, the quality of care. So, uh, David, I don't know if you want to jump in and add to that. That's one of the greatest stories, I think, in both of our careers. um, Yeah. and, and and we can name that client,
3: um, which is great because uh, we've done some some public case studies and there's a great video case study on the um, the Insight website um, in the healthcare section, uh, Steward Healthcare. But yeah, the CEO came to us and said, look, um, I'm paying a lot of money, millions of dollars a year for length of stay and labor analytics software. And it's not telling me anything that I don't already know about my health system. I can't ask it the questions that I want to ask it to to get answers to have a better understanding of what I'm gonna do as a CEO to lead us into um, better outcomes and better care, right? And, and lowering costs and that's point. So uh, what I'm most excited and really proud of, um, and, and we do some great things. I mean, our, whether you're a, a payer, a provider, a, a life sciences company, medical device company, our our job and our goal, whether it's one project or thinking really at, at the macro level is to help healthcare and life sciences companies become continuously learning through their data and that could be just one small project or that could be an enterprise level project but that's you know we we want to improve the 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 clinical outcomes we want to improve the quality of care we want to improve patient safety we want to reduce costs um uh, and and we want to do that in in across not only just the the care models but also you know, financially from a business operations perspective, you know, where and how can things be optimized to all contribute towards, you know, really becoming a continuously learning health system. And so we, one of the things that I'm most proud of is, is we like to do things quickly in healthcare and, and nobody in the industry is used to getting anything of real value very quickly for very little cost. You know, a lot of times you're talking about you know, uh, an EMR upgrade, and you're going to spend a, a couple billion dollars, and it's going to take you three years. And the average cost of that integration is like thirty-three thousand dollars per bed per year for every bed you have in your hospital to organizationally change from one bulk system to another. Um, where we can come in in four to six weeks. And as Matt said, we love to say, you know, what questions would you love to ask of your data that you can't that your systems prevent you from from answering? And let's take let's understand what those questions are or oh, that question is, let's understand what data, from which data sources, um, we need to pull that information from. And then, you know, what condition is the data in? Every time you get data, you, you need to assess the quality of, of the data because obviously if if you're, if the quality of your data isn't good, then you're gonna uh, drive incorrect predictions, right? So you really need to make sure that you have good data quality and cleansing. And then you can ask the, the data the question. So we'll typically do, um these these types of of rapid discovery sessions what we kind of call proof of value um, sessions in four to six weeks so we're actually taking a question that they can't ask um, of their data today of their legacy systems um we we put all this together and then we we basically provide uh the answers out in a couple of role-based actionable actionable views one might be for a doctor um, from a clinical perspective, and one might be from the uh, hospital operations uh, director, the CLO, in terms of the, the the business and financial implications of of that same patient question. Um, and we're able to kind of give two role based actionable views, and we're kind of micro solving a larger problem because we're taking a subset of the data, or what we call a vertical slice of the data, just to be able to kind of prove it out and do it quickly. But it's real; it's their data, it's their information, and they're seeing it in a completely new way, and they're able to start. You know working and huddling around this new information and this new methodology and that that gets really exciting for them and for us and so then we can take another another two to three week sprint and and be able to iterate on that so it's a great way for uh health systems who are strapped for cash these days especially to be able to incrementally invest in innovation see an output and an roi and then be able to incrementally invest again and as they incrementally invest we're able to provide incremental value which then tips into a uh, you know, an MVP uh, maybe it's deployed at one unit of a hospital, and then after that's successful, then they can roll it out um, to all 38 of their hospitals. So, you know, that that, that POC you know, and, that, and, that, and that 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 that, that, that project, the project that we started, that started for Stewart Healthcare, Healthcare, it it turned into um, a four year project. But now today, um, Stewart has 38 hospitals across the United States. They're able to predict um, by diagnosis code. Um, every bed for every unit of every floor of their hospital, their patients, up to three weeks in advance with a 98% accuracy. Now, if you're able to predict who your patients are going to be by diagnosis code up to three weeks in advance, you can do some pretty interesting things. You can harmonize your clinical staffing model because you understand, to Matt's point, when and where you're going to need clinical resources. Uh, You don't have to bring people in on their days off. You don't have to send them home early from shift because you don't have enough patients to care for. Um, which creates you know dissatisfaction uh, problems for your your clinical staff. You're also able to um, reduce length of stay. So to Matt's point, we've been able to reduce length of stay at Steward. Uh, by one and a half days per admitted patient. We just eliminated the natural gaps in care between waiting for a, a lab result and then being prescribed a medication or waiting to be discharged, but you're waiting for your physical therapist and your temporary meds to come to your room. So we've, we've been able to work and create intelligence alongside or above these legacy systems. Um, and what we're able to do is pull the information out, cleanse it, learn from it, and then, feed that information back into those systems or create new, uh, more modern workflows, but we want to harmonize it with the natural workflow of the health systems to be able to have them engage with the data in the most, in the easiest way possible and be able to, 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 uh, uh, you know, make the biggest difference that in, 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 an easy and intuitive way as, as we can. And then uh, the last thing was supply chain. So, um, steward has been able to uh, start ordering medications and vaccines and other supplies near their expiration date at a discount because they know when and where and exactly uh, what they're going to need in terms of quantities um, before those things expire. So Steward, in the last four years has been, uh, we call it ROII, return on innovation investment. They've been able to to realize a a return on innovation investment of over $150 million, um, which is which is massive for any health system. So those types of projects are, are, are super exciting, but so often they start with this four or six week, you know, investigation and in question around, um, you know, a specific area and then, you know, they can take off and grow. Um, and um, we love to, we love to, to grow, grow projects. with them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big fan of the iteration thing. You know, the idea that you yep. don't try and Whatever the whatever the metaphor is, you know, you're not boiling the ocean. You're not, you know, whatever it is. Right. I like the idea of starting small, learning, iterating, moving from there. That always is a good formula. Let me let me pivot really quick. So, coming into this topic, I actually immediately thought that we would get into you know the edge or devices or capturing data in healthcare through devices. It just seems like a great cross section. Am I off, or is that how how real is that in healthcare right now?
2: So it's, it's very real, but it goes back to, you know, those 100 those different sources of data. So obviously, if you've been in, in any kind of you know, healthcare environment, uh, there's edge devices everywhere, right? Every, every you know, within every you know, operating room or, or every bed is connected at this point. And so um, the market is a little bit saturated uh, in that sense because most of these devices are built by, you know, large industries that have been in the healthcare space for decades. So, I, I'd say there's probably not as much of an opportunity to you know, add more devices to that ecosystem. I mean, there's always devices being added by the medical you know, device manufacturers. So, it's more you know, how do we harness the data and aggregate it across all these devices that, that are already being used? We don't want to complicate. You know, David spoke about you know, when, when we first introduced laptops and desktops you know, into the patient rooms, um, it really changed the dynamic with the provider um, in, in a negative way. And, and so now we're able to introduce technology to actually cut down on the number of devices that need to be used to, to engage with the patient and, and really uh, treat that patient effectively. And so, um, you know, there's, still, there, there's plenty of use cases around Intelligent Edge and IoT. Um, but we find that, you know, there's just like with the, with the EMR deployments, you know, they make huge investments in deploying these major systems. And so I think uh, David, David said it really well. You know, we're working kind of alongside or above these legacy systems you know, where we can provide value in integrating data, and coming up with new insights or optimizing operations within healthcare um, is really where we provide that quick ROI because they're so used to those those big capital purchases, like, you know, outfitting a hospital with new equipment or deploying a new EMR or even an upgrade is such a massive investment in time and energy and and cost for these systems that we need to be able to respond quickly and provide value. Um, And it typically comes in the form of new insights that can improve patient care, or operational improvements um, that can reduce cost. Uh, and those are, those are the use cases. It, it's no coincidence that that's where we focused. And, and I even like, you know this, this is a podcast about cloud, um, but we, we put it right in there that this is really about AI for healthcare. There's, there's plenty that we could talk about in cloud in edge, um, and edge and in applications that's happening in healthcare. Um, but especially with, with everything that's happened in the last year, um, time, to, time to insight, time to, time to you know, value on the data, is, is probably the thing that's, that's most uh, top of mind within that space. Um, and so, yes, th- there's, there's cool use cases. We've done some where we, we created like operating room of the future where we're monitoring, you know, temperature, humidity, making sure there's no, you know, outbreaks or, or you know, growth of bacteria that could potentially cause a, an infection with a patient in the operating room. Um, but I, I'd just say the reality is there's, there's less investment there right now than there is in in gaining these insights, improving operations, the the patient experience.
0: That that makes that makes perfect sense. um Bob, did you have a question? I I, I, I saw. Did. Yeah. yeah.
1: So guys, I was thinking that obviously you guys are had some great insights, some great projects in healthcare, but healthcare also has the most sensitive data possible for other you know patient information and things like that. So what um what how do you protect a patient's sensitive data as you garner insights um, across you know a large number of patients? and how how do you guys keep that uh, patient sensitive data secure?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to it from a technology standpoint, but a lot of it is actually on the business side as well. Dave can speak to that. Um, yeah, I think there was a real turning point maybe seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, where a lot of health systems realized that that you know the investments being made by the big hyperscalers, you know, so primarily um, Microsoft and Amazon, you know, Google, you know, coming on strong here, um, the investments that these organizations were able to make in securing the data and securing the environments were significantly greater than any health system could could make. And so you're looking at these data centers and these hospitals that you know are literally you know at risk every day both from security vulnerabilities but you know i've even talked to to hospitals where their data centers got flooded there were you know you know you know weather you know issues or power issues that would bring down patient care and um so the resiliency the scalability and the security in the cloud um i think it's really uh taken hold in the last you know, half decade to decade, where um, they've realized that you know, okay, if you've got a hundred different systems generating data at the edge, right, in a localized data center, or even just on the devices within the room within the hospitals themselves, um, that's where the biggest risk for a data breaches. It's not once you get it up into the cloud. Now, granted, you, you have to be focused on policies in the cloud to make sure that you're you're managing your security and your keys and all these things. Properly, but that's where a company like Insight can come in and, and you know develop best practices for governance and policies in the cloud. Um, you know, if you look at any major outbreak uh, or sorry uh, security security uh, you know vulnerability, whether it's in healthcare or retail, it typically happens at the edge. Somebody comes in and they're able to tap into you know some system that's transmitting data you know from the edge up to a data center or to the cloud, and they're able to intercept that feed, um, decrypt it, and gain data from that. Um, it's very rare that you hear about somebody breaking into you know, a data warehouse in the cloud uh, and capturing all of that data. Um, so it's really about you know, the technology and, and putting in the right governance and policies at the, at the data warehouse level, um, but more so it's about you know, how are people managing passwords, right, it's the basics, right? How, how are these, you know, are we doing an audit of all the edge you know, devices and applications to make sure that you know, we're encrypting those data feeds uh, as they get aggregated? Yeah, are we looking at any type of localized data stores? Um, you know, we're we're well past the days, hopefully, of people writing their passwords on sticky notes and putting them on the laptops. But yeah, I, I think we've probably all been into a doctor's office where you've you've seen that sticky note. And you think that's that's not secure. Um, and so it, it's a human issue as much as it's a uh, as a cloud security issue. But you know, long story short, I think most you know most you know CIOs or uh, C, the chief security officers in healthcare systems have realized that. You know, getting it to the cloud is actually the most secure place for the data to
1: live. Yeah, speaking yeah, of sticky Matt, notes, I've it's seen it's a lot of seen. Windows XP at my doctor's office. That scares me as well, right? <laughs> I mean, my goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah. So when we talk about the data, and we talk about collecting the data, and then we talk about it, you know, being centralized and us analyzing the data, that 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 is a, a I, I would call that business intelligence right you know and I think beyond that when we talk about AI it's you know for lack of better terms it's applying algorithms to come up with predictive outcomes based on the data that we've collected so maybe we could explore that a bit you know like when we talk about AI you know how do we jump from a BI environment into an AI outcome what is it that we're doing in the cloud you know and I know that there's different answers to that Azure has an answer AWS is an answer and you know in, in some facet it's it's applying a specific service to that data. but what does that mean right and and how does that really translate from a healthcare perspective um I, so i'm I'm leading you a bit, but i I think that that's a fascinating part of the world where that came from and what is it?
2: Yeah, and and there's a I, it, people tend to munge those two two things together quite a bit. You know, creating a uh, you know an end user reporting dashboard so people can slice and dice data and, and understand you know kind of correlations is not AI. Um, it's critical, and we do a lot of it within healthcare and other industries. But I, I actually think that the use case that David talked about with with Steward, like that that was you know we were aggregating data, real time and historical data trends running models against it that would then predict, Okay, so tomorrow, a week from now, three weeks from now, these are how many people you need working in these roles at these hospitals and then feeding that data into a staffing plan. So, you know, if you're if you're head of nursing in a healthcare system, you've got to build out your schedule for the next month. There's an app that you go in there. It's a calendar. You pick who's going to be on what shifts. But we're able to populate that with recommendations now by saying, hey, we think you're gonna need this many people on this date. Yeah, and it could, I mean, it's crazy stuff. It's not just, you know, okay, well, what's happening with a, you know, in on the ground in the hospital? It could be, you know, and we have these conversations. Okay, well, one of our hospitals is located near, you know, Fenway Park. Um, we noticed a spike on game days, right? Like we need to correlate external data, like the Red Sox schedule into our staffing model. Like, it, you, you know, we, we were joking, we, we might have, need to take the moon cycles into account for, you know, the maternity ward. Um, you know, the, the old fable that there's more, I think all three of my kids are born on full moons. So there might be some truth to it, but like, do we need to correlate that? Is there social data that we need to correlate? If there's a, uh, if there's a large protest, right, is that going to lead to, you know, a, an increase in staffing needs in the hospitals closest to those locations? And so, um, That's where it gets interesting with kind of the ML part of it. You know, you run, you build these models, you run against historical data, you add new data sets into it and you say, okay, can we find any correlations there? Can we, you know, increase the the accuracy of our future predictions by running against historical data? And then the last piece though is, okay, well then how do you make it actionable? Right. So you're making these predictions in the labor case. You could say, okay, well, here's our predicted staffing. You know, let's put it into our our labor management system. Um, You know, but for something like, uh, you know, the sepsis example, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, somebody that's in the hospital can take action. If we know that there's some condition, it could be environmental or it could be caused by, you know, maybe the the load of patients with certain conditions in the hospital at the time. You know, how do we then get that information back in front of the doctor, the nurse, the clinician that that can respond to it? Um, So as much as it's cool to kind of run the data and build the models, um, it goes back to like, there's there's an OCM, like, you know, implementing these systems changes the, the patient provider experience. Um, and so you, you need to think through that whole equation, and that's why it really is true digital transformation, because you're transforming the, the data and the solution, but you're really changing the way and hopefully improving the way that providers are interacting with their patients. I think, to match point two, uh, outside the, the provider realm, um,
3: AI is really starting to make a difference in, in uh, outpatient care. Uh, so, you know. 68% of chronic disease is lifestyle modifiable and, pre- and preventable. So when you think about um, our propensity for change and, and evaluating and understanding um, how motivated are we to lose weight because we're pre-diabetic? Um, you know what 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 causes um, and and opportunities are there in my life and in, in my history and my health that that um, can can be motivational or more motivational for me as opposed to Matt or you or or, or anyone else so uh, the a, a great project that we're working on right now um, has to deal with something that's very uh, applicable to COVID for so many people is loneliness um, loneliness um, is uh, equivalent to um, a, a reduction in your lifespan um, it's kind of similar to smoking 15 uh, cigarettes a day or, or more um or or obesity um the, the the challenge of of loneliness um is a 6.8 billion dollar a year problem in the united states um uh and a third of adults today are are chronically lonely and we're seeing it in in other populations um certainly teens are having a, a significant challenge um not being in school so we're working with a company um that is is working to actively address loneliness and it has a, a correlated outcome. They've been able to uh, work with a, a health system in the southwest um, and in six months time, they've been able to save um, uh, Medicare and Medi- Medicaid Medicaid patients spend by over $5,000 per patient um, in just six months because they're, they're basically attacking it in two ways. They have a call center where you can actually call in and talk to humans and, and um, have conversations and, and just just uh, uh, connections with with other people. And uh, those those connections and those those call center contacts are curated um, in their database. Um, and then there's also a, a bot, um, a personal health assistant, uh, which also also is able to reach out to them, you know, any time of day or night. And so it's the combination of the two, the personal and then and then the the digital that are working to address loneliness. But we're uh, basically about ready to embark on a project that is going to. Um, really make this bot and the call center completely neural connected and state-of-the-art with respect to personalizing the communications and um, making the conversations more meaningful um, for, for all of the recipients. And they're looking to branch out their business was primarily focused on seniors
0: who um,
3: aren't digitally, uh, oftentimes digitally fluent, um, don't have the latest, greatest hardware and technology so they had to create a bot that was kind of uh, slimmed down with respect to its its functional capabilities. Now as they're looking to continue to address that segment of the population, but also start to look at other segments of the population who are more digitally fluent and have um, uh, more, more up-to-date hardware, then uh, that's going to dynamically change the game in terms of, of how we can use these tools in addition to other things with a patient's permission um social listening um uh also you know being able to understand you know that i you know went on a 5k walk um and you know i'm pre-diabetic and went on a 5k walk and i just posted that to my my Facebook posts, um, um, or diet and fitness, or nutrition applications or devices that that you seem to be, that you that you're working with, with your permission, again, we can start to to build a better understanding of you and personalize the the content and the, and the contact with you in a way that hopefully is going to be not only more resonant, meaningful you, for for you, but um, also be more to more motivational and point you to uh, better outcomes that again improve your health. Uh, over the long term and help to reduce the strain and the cost of uh, unnecessary care delivered because um, you're not you're not more physically uh, in tune with your your health state.
0: Do you remember the movie Her? Yep. yep. Does that sound similar?
3: Um, I don't quite want to go to, to the Her um, uh, example, but yeah, I mean, look, you're seeing all. You're seeing. Uh, we're working on digital pets. Um, you, you, we're 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 starting to see the opportunity not only for you to um, uh, create. Uh, maybe you had a dog when you were a kid, and um, that was your favorite pet ever, and you can recreate your dog and and uh, you know begin to have. We're seeing the confluence of more digital connection um, with with people uh, to to digital forms and digital things that that have a great deal of meaning. It again, it, it goes into your past, into your your memories and, and do significance for you apart from someone else. And I think that's that's an interesting area where AI is able to take us quickly and do it at scale by by
0: learning.
1: I, I I, have a
0: oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Matt. go ahead.
1: Yeah, I got a question for Matt. Matt, for that uh, hospital n- near Fenway, did uh, patients uh, increase when the Red Sox lost?
2: <laughs> <laughs> lost <to> the Yankees.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure that I'm sure that you I don't need a machine learning algorithm to tell me that one. That one, That one. one. Sure. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's got to be for true. All
0: right. Uh, good. I I think a few minutes, just for, I have one last question and it's a, it's a bit of, it's a big one. So I, it'll, so take it for what you, what, where you want. You know, as I thought through that last conversation, I said her, and it really, what what I meant was along the lines of, we are lucky to be in a position where we can have these kind of conversations and actually affect outcomes. But it occurs to me that there is this you know almost ethical thing that is a layer to it all right and i i wonder what your thoughts are on that you know in the sense that when we talk about artificial intelligence when we talk about reaching into someone's life to help them manage loneliness by creating personalities you know it there is a good outcome but it's also just like anything else with technology it can cut both ways there's good and bad how do how do you guys personally think through that? I mean, you know, I I, I think it's real it, if we're in technologists, if we're technologists or in technology, we exist within society and we have to think about these things. How do you think about that?
2: So I, David it's probably
0: a deep has a, question.
2: Yeah, David probably has a deeper answer. But I, I think as, as long as you're you're driving positive outcomes for patients, I, I think healthcare is actually a little bit easier um, when you get into some other industries. You know, there, there's more conflict between like in the financial services you know, do, do banks make more money when their clients make more money or when their clients pay them more? Right. And so there's a you know, conflict, I think. And there's different models for healthcare. You know, accountable care is a good example where, you know, uh, hospitals and providers get paid based on the outcomes of their patients versus the amount of procedures that they, you know, perform. And so I think that, uh, you know, in this space, you're just striving for improved patient outcomes. Um, typically has the result of of driving down cost and improving you know the operational models as well. So you know there, there's a nice you know there, there's 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 other examples where you know you prescribe more tests, you prescribe more drugs, um, and and it drives up healthcare costs, and and that provider might get paid more. You know, but I think with the organizations that we've worked with, you know, they're really looking for that win win that that you know um, hail mary where you can improve the outcomes and drive down costs. There, there, you always have to keep ethics in mind but you know this is one industry uh, where ethics is part of the discussion from day one from probably the first day of, of med school or nursing school um, to every day in the job. So I, I think from a, from an ethical standpoint, moral standpoint, yeah this is one of the best industries to work in um, because you feel good about the work that you do. And you know there's some there's some big brother type solutions when you get all this data that you have to watch out for. Um, but you know in, in my experience, um, people are well-intentioned, uh, and people also know when they when they've crossed the line. Um, and you know, that, that's at the core of our values as a company at Insight too. Um, we're not going to work with, with clients that, that, you know, maybe have unethical, uh, outcomes that they're driving, um, but in the healthcare space. Yeah. And
0: to, and to be, and to be clear that it, it isn't an insight question. It's a, oh, I
2: you know, know I, it, I, it, I yeah, it's like, a, I
0: think there's, there's, it's yeah. in the fabric to think about. That's all that, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I, I get it. it um. And, and I've definitely seen, I've got some pl- plenty of friends that are in the financial services and work for hedge funds and I, I won't speak to their ethics, but um, it's 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 nice to work with a healthcare provider, especially in, in trying to drive positive outcomes for patients.
1: You know, I hope that uh, we can, some of these solutions can come to more of the patient side of it, right? The patient experience. I don't understand why I have to fill out the 10 same forms every year when I go to the doctor, right? Um, there's got to be a patient experience here somewhere that can be automated. So I don't have to do that every time I go to a different doctor or um, you know, even see the same doctor every year. Um, being able to take that and bring that into more of a patient customer care, I hope is the next phase of this because I think there's a lot that can be done there to um, protect and normalize that data. So um, we don't have to be so darn repetitive every time we see the doctor. I mean, you're,
2: it, it's a- Data integration issue. The reason you do that is, I mean, obviously it's a liability thing. That's why they want you to fill right. a test out. But it was the inability to share data in the past that made you yeah. do it all the time. And so I, I think, you know, if, if you actually you know go to the go to a provider today, if you're in an, in a large network, um, I think you'll see improvements there. I, I mean, I've seen it even just with with COVID, and when I go to get a test. Um, you know, my doctor knows about it. I didn't, I didn't have to sign, or maybe I did sign something a long time ago, but not every single time. And it's a little bit more integrated as people could become more comfortable sharing data. But, you know, that's right. when you to watch out for both from a security perspective, as well as a, uh, you know, ethical perspective that, that there's, there's probably an oversharing you have to watch out for too.
1: Yeah, agreed, absolutely. agreed. Great, great topic today, guys. Very informative.
0: Yeah. Really good yeah. stuff. I really, really, we're grateful. Thank you guys for joining us. Very, very appreciative. Oh, it was our pleasure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Great. Thanks All again. right, guys. Well, we'll we'll sign off episode from episode 18. Hopefully I'm right about that. Thank you, everybody, yes. for listening in. And we will uh, be chatting with you soon.
1: See you next time.